I just played this on the piano. Does it sound familiar? If you've ever heard Dua Lipa's hit song Levitating, then you might have thought I just played that particular tune. I did not. Yet it sounds awfully familiar. In fact, when you take this very common chord progression I just played and apply a certain beat to it, it seems almost impossible to not sound familiarly the same. There are two questions here. Is there anything truly ever original? And second, is originality even worth pursuing? This discussion matters because we, artists, have been taught that originality is king. But before we tackle the conundrum, it might be useful to define originality. Like many words, what we are dealing here with is a problem of polysemy. Polysemy, from the Greek, to mean multiple things. Originality has two main definitions. First, it's defined as the ability to think or express oneself in an independent and individual manner. In other words, it means to have a point of view. The second definition is the problematic one. It's the quality of something being new, never seen before. When something is original in this sense, it means that it's not derived from something else. It's new. I think this is an interesting question because originality seems to be something that we started caring about only very recently. Originality is a culturally conditioned idea. Shakespeare avoided, quote, unnecessary creativity, unquote, since it was more popular at the time to acknowledge the similarities with a famous classical work. The concept of originality did not become an ideal in Western culture until the 18th century. In fact, we can pinpoint the exact time where the idea of originality became so prevalent to the Romantic movement around the 18th century. This is the time of John Keats, Lord Byron, Percy Shelley. Three ideas that are relevant to our discussion have their roots in the Romantic movement. First, the celebration of originality in art. Second, the concept that the artist should be authentic. And third, writer's block. So let's explore. We need to explore because, like I always say, marketing is the art of changing the culture. You cannot change the culture unless you understand it. Originality sounds like a noble pursuit because all great thinkers appear to have been original. But is that true at all? In a TED talk, Kirby Ferguson, the filmmaker behind the documentary series Everything is a Remix, argued that nothing is original, that everything is a remix or reworked version of something pre-existing. As an example, Bob Dylan, has been argued to have copied melody from such folk artists such as Woody Guthrie. But then again, Woody admitted to copying his own ideas as well. Woody once explained, quote, 
Take a tune. Sing high when they sing low. Sing fast when they sing slow. And you've got a new tune. Unquote. I roamed and rambled and I followed my footsteps to the sparkling sands of her diamond deserts. We have Steve Jobs to thank for the graphical interface on computers. But it was Xerox who invented the mouse and the first graphical user interface. Without Xerox, it may have taken years for Apple to even contemplate the commercial viability of graphical interfaces. When we're designing anything, say, a new car, you already start with a preconceived definition of what a car is, a prototype. You never realized that this is copying, yet it is. There is a preconceived general shape. For wheels, a combustion engine. A gearbox, a boot, seats, a circular steering wheel, etc. 95% of any car is already a copy. A new house. 95% preconceived ideas. Doors, windows, the living arrangements, etc. Everything is an expression of what we expect a house to be. Photography. Again, a set of preconceived ideas. And it better be, if you're selling your art to people who expect consistency from you, at the point of our career, have we not decided whether we prefer a specific focal length or a particular film stock or how we like posing to be? I could argue with confidence that at least 95% of each picture we make is a repetition of something we or someone else created. And that's okay. It does not take away from either the beauty of creativity nor its purpose. So it's common to think that in order to be cutting edge, to be at the very top of the game, we need to be original, as in creating things that are never or rarely seen before. It sounds against everything we have ever been taught, but originality is overrated. While society favors the myth of intellectual superheroes, perhaps thanks to the romantic movement of the 18th century and the industrialization of creative output since the 19th century, the real heroism exists in the perseverance of people with enough greed to be willing to count a hundred failures for every success. Originality as the pursuit of creating something totally novel is not only futile, it's actually counterproductive because it sets the bar impossibly high. And hence why, at the same time as originality and authenticity become over-celebrated in our culture, another concept creeps into existence. Writer's block. What's writer's block? It's the pain of every creative person. In Seth Godin's words, people who suffer from writer's block do not have a problem with writing but with the fear of writing something bad, something unoriginal. But if you are willing to do bad writing, good writing will slip through the cracks. The more bad writing you do, the more the cracks will open for some good writing to surface. It is the result of practice. However, 
If you start by setting the bar as high as it must be original, you will not have the courage to even type the very first word, because no one's first word in the entire history of humanity has ever been original. You've already set yourself up for failure. Any creative output is a form of communication. It consists of a messenger, who is the artist, a message, which is the work of art, the medium, which can be a photograph, a painting, a poem, and a receiver, a recipient, for whom the work of art is intended. Like all effective communication, the goal of the messenger is to successfully send her message to a particular receiver. The messenger knows that her message cannot be understood by everyone in the same manner. It simply isn't for everyone. So, a great artist creates her message knowing who it is meant for. It is for some special people whom she decided to serve, her smallest viable audience. The good artist creates art that will create cultural change for their audience. Her goal, her mission, is not to be original, but to make cultural change to the better happen. And the only way to achieve this is by creating a message that is interesting. Interesting as in not boring. Interesting is an interesting word. Because something is interesting only for some people. Barney the dinosaur is not interesting to me, but it's very interesting to my son. When you acknowledge the need to be interesting, not original, you accept that you are serving a very specific group of people. When your message is interesting to them, then it has impact and it spreads. It becomes a sort of epidemic. Ideas that spread win. They create cultural change. And this is marketing. In fact, most of the things we are interested in are already familiar things. Why? Because our brains are lazy. From an evolutionary standpoint, it seems reasonable that comfort comes from familiarity. You are less likely to be hurt by something you are familiar with. We don't want to take and gamble on something unfamiliar. In fact, according to psychologists, the more familiar things you are surrounded by, the happier you are. In other words, our brains are extremely sensitive to change. Using a joystick instead of a steering wheel on a car confronts and defies the prototype. It makes us feel on edge. Any good designer knows that familiarity, not originality, is their best friend. The best designs are the intentional improvement of the familiar. So, let's put everything together. I think one single phrase can summarize everything. Creating anything meaningfully is not a pursuit of originality. It's a pursuit to solve a problem in a familiar and interesting way. So, if you hesitate to do something just because it's already been done, then you might be missing an opportunity to serve your audience. 
what you could instead be asking yourself is, if this has already been done, then how can I improve it for the benefit of the specific people I serve? Because if it is interesting to them, it will have an impact. It will change their culture. And this is the very important job that we have, to make change happen. So let's go full circle back to Dua Lipa. The reason her hit song is so successful is precisely because it is familiar. It is exactly because it is not unnecessarily original. And there is nothing wrong with it, because Dua Lipa's songs are supposed to be comfortably familiar. Now, we are left with one critical question. Where do we draw a line between plagiarism and influence? Here is how I see it. First, let's accept that you will have to copy by design or by accident. Let's accept here and now that anything we do will be 95% copy. It doesn't really matter what the real percentage is. All it matters is that it is large enough. Embrace it. This is the very first step. The second is don't ever stop at the 95%. That remaining 5% is what stops you from being a plagiarist or, in the best case scenario, from being boring. It's this 5% that matters, because it's your opportunity to improve anything pre-existing into something remarkable. This 5% is your point of view, your version of better. This 5% is your chance to add to the collective culture, to make humanity better, to solve a problem, to give your own version of better. This 5% is the electric motor on a Tesla. It's the reusable rocket of SpaceX. It's that building of Anthony Gaudi. It's the iPad. It's Frank Lloyd Wright's falling water. It's the Mona Lisa. The more we acknowledge that originality is a float, over-glorified concept, the more we will feel safe to create. We will create for all the right reasons, which are to better lives. Because pursuing originality for the sake of it is selfish and self-centered, while the wish to generate change is generous. Creativity is a method. It's a practice. Unfortunately, schools do not teach us how to become creative. A practice is something you can get better at with intentional repetition. Yes, you can get more creative with practice. It's not a talent. It's not reserved for the ones who won the genetic lottery. We are all capable of it. And the more you practice, the more you will be finding your voice. Only as it proves, it's never really your own voice. It's a choir. Once we have the courage to admit that nothing of what we do is ever truly original, then we can try hard to make things that are ever so slightly better. All you have to do is find one problem you care enough to solve and give the world 
your version of better. And the comforting thing about this journey is that we are not at all alone in it. We have each other to rely on, or more accurately, we have each other to copy from. Like always, you can find the show notes for this episode on the website andreaskgeorgiun.com slash podcast. You will also find a big yellow button for you to record your questions about any episode. I need your questions. Your questions is what will keep this podcast going. So, if you have just half a minute to spare, go to the website. I need to hear from you. Until then, be well, be safe, and go create something familiarly interesting. Thank you for listening.